Hey everyone, it's John. Um, the Bop Squad just wanted to let all of you know um, how much we appreciate you listening to a, the podcast. Um, hopefully you are getting a lot of um, new intriguing ideas and some inspiration and um, just good content from our podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Um, there are different levels, whether that's a one-time gift or a monthly contribution, and the different levels have different perks associated with them, um, like early released episodes or some merchandise. Speaking of, you can go over to the Bop Shop at clinicalpopulations.threadless.com to check out some of our merch, which also is a way for you to support us. Um, I own two of our shirts, and they are my favorite shirts um, out of my wardrobe. They are so comfortable and soft and stylish, if I do say so myself. So um, consider checking out some of our merch. It really is good quality stuff. Um, All right, now to the show. Clinical. 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 Population. Clinical. Population. Population. Clinical. Population. Hello, everybody. My name's Gabby. I'm Allison. I'm John. I'm Grant. And welcome to Clinical. Introducing music therapists to new bops and new bops to music therapy. And today we have Lo. Welcome. Welcome back. (laughs) Good to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're um, super excited to catch up with you after I think it's been two years. Two years, yeah. Yeah, because that was May 2019. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. I feel like this past year doesn't count. So, (laughs) (laughs) I was about to say, basically, nothing's happened since then. So, yeah. Basically, nothing. Basically. (laughs) (laughs) To toss out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're doing it over. We're doing it over. So, it's only been one year. Yes. Exactly. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna get our timeline. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I guess just have you been? What have you been up to over the past year and throughout year? <laughs> uh, it's been a roller coaster. I know it has for like a lot of people. Like trying to like deal with, you know depression and anxiety that definitely was exacerbated because of the pandemonium. Mm. Um, <laughs> the panini press? The panini press, the pandemic lovato. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was, no shade, I love Demi, but it, it just flows off the tongue, pandemic lovato. <laughs> um, but nah, just trying to, <laughs> trying to figure stuff out and, um, trying to turn back to music for, you know, form of catharsis and an outlet and really honed in on my production skills Mm. and feel like that's been another tool to be able to articulate how I'm feeling, what I'm trying to get 
like you know into the song bring it into a tangible form and out of my out of my brain hmm. so yeah how have you been going about the learning more production stuff and getting more into it it's a lot of trial and error okay. so like i'll i'll think of something that i want to happen in a certain part or mm -hmm. a chord progression and then I'll go through and there's a lot of clicking through sounds and seeing, you know, which ones speak to me and, and feel like they're cohesive with the rest of the track. And sometimes I have to go to YouTube University and figure out how to do certain things like an automation or like I'm, I'm starting to kind of touch on um, mixing. Mm. And that's just a whole nother frontier, but it helps to define certain sounds more like this record's going to have a lot of a lot of bass, a lot of more aggressive tones. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any favorite uh, channels on YouTube for learning techniques and tricks? Mm, not specifically. Okay. Not specifically, but there are so many great people on there who offer their wisdom and tips and tricks. Because a lot of people go to school for this, and I considered it for a while to go to school for music, but... Um, I don't know. There's there's so many resources out there, as well as as you know traditional schooling, and so mm -hmm. that's been an amazing resource. Definitely. Well, speaking of production, uh, you recently released uh, two singles, I think. I did. I did. Yeah, uh, one of them is called "Lost in Translation." And we're very grateful that you're sharing that song with us. And we're really excited to listen to it. So, folks, we're going to listen to it. And then we'll start talking about it. So, enjoy Lost in Translation by Lo. Oh, that I meant it when I said it How I was falling in love Counting no seconds to see you Really thought that you were the one What if it was different? What if I'd stayed? What if I just came back? Would that be okay?
was lost in translation by low what'd you guys think i loved it like i i was just totally enamored with like the 80s soundtrack vibe that i started feeling when listening to it um and it just yes <laughs> I, I just really enjoyed listening to it like on repeat like nonstop <laughs> the first time and i was like at some point i need to like pay a little bit more attention to like the lyrics the next person we can have the conversation but i was just vibing with it so much and i just really enjoy just the aesthetic of it thank you yeah that pulsating bass really got me when it just comes in it's like do 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 and i was like yes invisible <laughs> <laughs> movement yeah yeah for sure I'm, I'm glad i'm glad you dig it yeah. And what I love is like, that's all you needed in that point. Like it's so, it fits the mood so well. It's so contemplative and simple and that's all you need. And it, it draws you in and then it comes in with the chorus with all the, all the extra texture and it's just so fun. Um, I love eighties vibes already. Eighties music is <laughs> some of my favorite. So it's perfect. <laughs> yes. I agree with that. I like, I love the simplicity, but also like the layered, texture um to the song um yeah i was trying to like there it was taking me back to like several different 80s songs and it at the same time with kind of the way the bass hits in the chorus and that kind of thing um so i really liked it but yeah definitely 80s (laughs) definitely 80s that was a a big part of the inspiration because i love prince there we go. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, yeah. Okay. okay. There you that go. That makes sense. <laughs> yes. Making correlation. Cool. Yeah. Any other influences um, for that song in particular beyond Prince? Mm-hmm. Not really. Not specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely pull from a bunch of different places, but Prince is one of my biggest inspirations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing that I noticed, the, the drums and the bass, like the pulsing bass in particular, gives us kind of like a ground because before that and then like around it, the synth is like, it's a little like murky. Like there's a lot of different sounds and textures happening. Um, so it's kind of like, here are these clear things that are happening, but then there's also this like murkiness kind of um 
it what I thought was like it kind of represented like the being lost type feel with the murkiness. I felt the same way, like lost almost in your head, like a cloudiness, um, like a kind of a cloudy sound, that murkiness, um, and kind of thinking through all of the things that the lyrics are saying. Cool, cool. Yeah, it. I guess I'm a I'm a nerd when it comes to imagery. So I'm glad that you guys picked up on that because I I try to implement that throughout my writing, but also now through production. And so when we get up to like the verses, it's supposed to be more minimalistic so that the lyrics stand out more because they're a little bit more like they're conversational, but there's some like kind of hidden meetings and things. But then once we get into the chorus, like at least when the when the hook is happening, like the instrumental hook, it's meant to be, like you said earlier, Allison, contemplative. That's your moment of reflection, like, you know, oh my gosh, like I've experienced this too, or oh my gosh, this girl is so sad, who hurt her? <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. Yeah, but then when you get into the chorus of all these really heavy emotions and just like this, we could have, you could have, um, you know, the the really heavy reflection is where all the other texture comes in. And it really just highlights the importance of those thoughts and the heaviness of those emotions. And it's like, do you miss me? Like, I, I miss you so much. Like, do you miss me? And it's, you can just feel the pain in that um and almost this like you know like when you're when you're trying to let something out like it's just this release of emotion and um yeah you can just feel that in in the change in the instrumentation there yeah dude no it's it's, it's very emo <laughs> it's okay one of my most emo songs for sure i'm down for it i love it <laughs> I think uh, kind of going forward in the song on the bridge, all of the, a lot of the instruments come out and it's just drums a little bit like of pads and then the vocals and going along with the imagery, I, it kind of brought to mind when like you just can't hide what you're feeling or what you're trying to say anymore. And like, it's just kind of like that pinnacle moment where you're just like, okay, like, I, do I tell this person? Like, should I tell this person? And like, uh, well, I guess, I guess I will tell this person, like, I can't hide anymore. You know, there's no more synths to hide behind. Like, here we go. <laughs> no synths. Yeah, hiding behind synths, so. <laughs> nah, no, for sure. I, like, I always mean for the bridges to be the, the most telling part because it's usually when the the instruments are like lessened or at least brought in, brought into just specific elements so that you know again like the the lyrics are in the forefront mm -hmm. and hit you in the gut mm -hmm. smack you in the face <laughs> you know rip out your heart whatever <laughs> the, the goal is um, of the of the theme of the song, but yeah, in this specific one, it was mm. meant to exhibit pain 
because a, a lot of us have felt that where we've experienced a loss and, you know, you, you go through the what ifs and the could, could haves and, mm-hmm. and uh, live in the proverbial, but you have to let that go and release it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I can feel that, especially in the ascending vocal line. And now it's too late. It's like that cry, that release. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, oh, she didn't. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was my favorite moment. I loved that. I thought that was really well done. Thank you. That one yeah. kind of happened on accident in recording. Really? Because I was just trying different things and I did it. And then they're like, do that again. I'm like, oh, yeah, it was perfect. <laughs> and then I had to. And then you're like, oh, no, I have to repeat it. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. it, it was weird. It was weird. But I'm glad you guys like it. So I'm curious, um, what was the process, creative process, production process like between um, the two songs that we've, like the two periods of time, I guess, that we've seen you in? So we saw you two years ago. Um, and I, I was just curious, like, how have things changed in your songwriting over two years, just besides you feeling more confident in your production style and learning more? Like, what's, what's different now, two years later? That's a good question. Um, I feel like I've become more comfortable with myself to be more revealing, be more vulnerable with uh, with my audience. But specifically, like, I don't know, art is kind of selfish in a way, you know? Um, and so for me, this was a release and I don't know. I just, I had so many things to get out, especially during 2020. I felt a lot of anger. And so that's kind of what this next chapter is, is geared towards is um, being more revealing of that, that rawness and realness that all of us have felt and, you know, allowing space for, for that to exist. Yeah. You can definitely sense that. Um, just in the way that you structured the song and um, the very like blatant lyrics of like, this is what I need to tell you. Like, this is how I'm feeling Um, a little less of the like metaphor and more of like, this is how it is. Yeah. 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 That was the motive. That was the motive. Um, but it's funny because this song was actually written and recorded and everything before the pandemic. Oh. So I was supposed to do a lot with it. I like even went to Chicago and recorded with So Far Sounds. Nice. Awesome. <laughs> it was so cool. They were so nice. It was so nice. There's just something about Chicago. I love Dallas, but when I go to Chicago, I feel so at home. But they were so sweet. And um, so we had like a lot of plans for it. And then the pandemic happened and I was just like, I, I like, I don't feel right releasing this during a time that's so tumultuous and so many people are dying. Mm. And I'm like, all right, look at me, like with this song. <laughs> like I felt, I, I felt really stupid. And um it's you know was so menial and 
didn't have anything to do with what was going on in the world at that time. So I just, I waited and waited and waited. And I was like, okay, I feel like now is the appropriate time to put this out into the world. And so we did in September Mm -hmm. and, (laughs) and um, it felt really good to release music again. It had been almost two years at that point. Wow. It's a long time. Yeah. It's not that I wasn't creating or had things. I just am very much a perfectionist. And since I started doing the production side of things, I just kept deleting stuff or going like, no, 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 no. We can't like, this isn't ready. This isn't ready. But luckily with this one, I had the help of a couple of other producers to add in on the drums and stuff. Um, Is Grant Thompson um, Caleb Thurman and um, Austin Bello mixed the record. So that was, that was cool to have some other ears and kind of people going, hey, like, this is good enough. Like, we're going to add a couple more elements to, like, beef it up, and then you're good to go. And that was encouraging, mm. for sure, to have other people being able to push you. <laughs> so you're like, Stop self-sabotaging, mm-hmm. perfectionist, and <laughs> so relatable. <laughs> I'm the same way. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that because as you were talking about, um, like being able to showcase the vulnerability and like like really allowing for your anchor to be expressed and like held, it just reminds me a lot of one metaphor is within like our work as music therapists, but also to just the fact that in general society, we don't ever really, it seems like we shy away from being angry as if it's like a bad thing. <laughs> um, yeah. And I mean, there's just so much with it. Like, and I think leaving the element of talking about perfectionism, like if you're angry, you're not perfect. Like, and how those things all tie together and other like cultural ways in which that also comes into play. When you think about things like race, gender and sexuality and things like that too. And like, it's just, it's so important, I think, for us, especially in artistic endeavors, to be able to, like, allow feelings of anger and rage to also be just as valid and, like, present and held in that work and expressed and shared throughout. So just, I really appreciate you saying that, sharing that with us. Thank you. And and you bring up a really good point. Like, that's something that I've felt as a woman. And, you know, going through kind of this unlearning of, you know, I'm, I'm a human and I have human emotions and it's, it's right. And just for me to express those things, mm-hmm. um, and, and not hide them just to be more palatable or, you know, acceptable, especially in my industry where it's like, you know, we just want you to like, you know, just sing the song and do the dance and do the thing. And I'm like, no, like I have, I have more, I have more substance mm-hmm. uh, than just this. And there's a time and place, like there's a lot of songs on the record that are more like fun and a little sassy and <laughs> like just, just, you know, just stuff to vibe to. And, and there are others that are more pensive and, and uh, delve into that. But yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so true in the music industry. I remember the first EP that I released, it was like, oh, these songs are like 
really emotional and angry and sad. And why aren't you releasing something that's upbeat and happy? You know, put the smile on your face kind of saying. And I was just like, that's not how I was feeling when I released these songs. So why do I have to be happy? Why can't I release a sad album? You know? Mm-hmm. No. And, and I felt a lot of guilt for that too, where especially like during the pandemic and coming out of it with so much loss that, you know, I was, I've, I've been feeling a lot of really heavy things mm. and feeling like I had to be a conduit for joy for people when I wasn't actually happy myself and going through a lot. Um, that was something I had to process through too and, and know that other people actually would rather feel like they're not alone in what they're feeling and experiencing versus, you know, you, you putting on a, a happy face and pretending. Yeah, I was actually, this morning I was listening to an interview that Sarah Barillas did. And yeah. yeah, so she was talking about, yeah, just how hard it is or yeah, how hard it really, how hard it was and how hard it still is to be a woman in the music industry. Mm-hmm. And like on the, on the writing side, she was saying how she, when she was working on her album, um, she had all these like, you know, great songs on it, but the record company was like, we need you to do all these collabs first and then release like your real stuff. And, yeah. you know, just, just, Every time she was trying like to release her stuff, they always had one other thing that she had to do before she could release her real stuff. Um, But then she released Brave as kind of like an FU to the (laughs) to the record. Not Brave. Love song. Love song. Love song. Yeah. Sorry. Love song. Yeah. That did amazingly. Yeah. Yes, it did. It did did so well. Um, And so, yeah, she was just telling that whole story about how that how that happens. And then she also talked about how um, when she comes into the studio, she already has demos that like she's produced herself mm-hmm. and like, they're not the most you know intricate things, but they have all the ideas and everything that she wants to say and everything she wants to sound there. Um, but she was saying how she f- felt kind of like the the like engineers and producers she was bringing it to weren't taking it seriously because it's like let leave leave the production and the in the engineering to like you know the dudes you know and it's like "Mm, like she has some great ideas you know yeah 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 i've i've run into that a little bit or you know how do i put this there are so many amazing men that I've worked with and that I consider allies in this industry, mm. you know, for women. But there are some dudes specifically, unfortunately, that kind of, um, they kind of like belittle mm. what you're trying to do or have their own idea in mind and try to trump what you're doing because they're like, well, like, I'm, I'm more superior in my idea, so I'm going to put this in here whether you like it or not. And then there's the awkward conversation of, hey, like, I just want to do this one thing. And then, you know, you get, you know, called 
names or treated differently or and it's one of the reasons why I, I took production in house too because I was tired of going into situations like that and I wanted to have the creative control but I also long for collaborators that are like-minded and like I don't want to do this by myself mm-hmm. like I'm I'm all about you know the sharing of ideas and working together and I'm just I'm still I'm still finding those people nice yeah it takes a minute <laughs> it does, it does. Mm-hmm. yeah I feel like I can relate um to the pro- like production aspects because I do or I've started to do a lot of technology things like within within music therapy but also just in general like I I have started to really enjoy producing and like making beats and just like messing around on like DAWs and stuff like that um and it's funny because all the people that I've learned from um or most of the people that I've learned from have just like all been guys. And so it's like, where are all the girls that are doing this? <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's yeah. My question to you. Like my mentors have also been guys and, and they're great. They're great. You know? Yeah. yeah but where's yeah. everyone else? Yeah. yeah. That's the goal. That's the goal is to try to encourage other women to, to do this and, get involved and teach others as they they go along and provide resource to other women Mm -hmm. that's really important yeah yeah exactly i was sharing a story before you jumped on low of how like i really wanted to learn uh pro tools i had taught myself audacity at like 13 (laughs) and i really wanted to learn pro tools i was like 14 or 15 and just trying to find someone to teach me because i had never been around any of that but just had an interest and i was already writing my own music so why not learn how to like record it for myself and actually make it sound good and so (laughs) i i was sharing with them that like everybody I asked one, uh, you know, it was all men and, um, nobody wanted to teach, you know, a 14, 15 year old alley. Um, you know, like, why do you need to do that? Just have somebody else do that. And, you know, it's too complicated. So it was just kind of patience to teach too. Yeah. 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 So just those kinds of messages. So I'm, I'm glad that there's three of us on here that are, (laughs) you know, working to kind of, we're doing it, Ask guys. On. Yeah, yeah. Dismantle. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> patriarchy. It's cool. Grant and John, you guys can stay. <laughs> exactly. That's <laughs> 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 cool. <laughs> oh, my gosh. My question would be more so along the lines of, like, Thinking back to um, the song you shared in 2019 with us, uh, Burning Building, and then uh, Lost in Translation now, like, and then one of the things that we talked about in terms of like the accompaniment that I felt was really reminiscent in both, like very apparent in both of them was the minimalism, I guess you could say is what it is, but just how you, how you use so little 
but it was perfect. <laughs> like, and I feel like that's something that um gets really. I feel like this is something that gets really tricky and like also kind of intimidating sometimes when it comes to like I'm writing a song either as somebody who wants to write songs just to be a songwriter or even in like our clinical spaces, um, but just being able to like know enough is enough and when that is. Um, so I guess I'm just more so curious about like how do you go about um, your instrumentation and your arrangement to make sure that like the lyrics are being supported the way that they need to and that the music is also like how they work together it depends it i feel like it kind of goes goes back more to like my creative process like how i start the song because sometimes it'll start with you know a chord progression and and then you know a beat or it'll start with just a line that i think of and then the lyrics will come first or melody or whatever and so it's really dependent on on that because then I I build it out accordingly. But I guess with burning with burning building, I knew that I wanted it to be more vulnerable and minimalistic because of what I was trying to convey. Um, and so I really wanted it to be, you know, vocal and piano, and then I was going to layer elements of my voice um, to be able to portray that that sorrow that I was feeling and I actually recorded that one um so a week after my grandmother died so that like that was really important to me to be able to capture that moment in my life that's kind of interesting because I uh clinically thinking about the song I, I worked with um older adults and sort of on the end of life uh, spectrum. And so I've thought about, you know, doing a lyric analysis and then rewrite wow. this song, kind of processing some of the what ifs mm -hmm. and um, some of that um, unsureness at the helping everything settle after someone passes away. Um, and I know that's not necessarily what the lyrics of the song are speaking to, but um, I think that the song would be a nice framework to explore that. Yeah, I was, um, so I work with adults in mental health, um, and then also families and, um, gotcha. I was, so we, we talk about relationships a lot, um, especially with couples and, and people who are expecting, um, or who have just become new parents, um, but particularly in my mental health groups, we talk about relationships just because it's just a part of our life and, um, you know, intimate relationships. And all too often we talk about processing um, breakups or um, loved ones, intimate partners that have passed and um, the grief process. And some of the things that I was seeing in here are just the grief of uh, going through the grief process um, of losing someone that you loved. And um, very similar to what John was sharing with processing and holding space for the what ifs and just allowing someone to say like, you know, do they miss me? What if they call me back? What do I do? Um, and then also identifying like, what are your communication patterns in your relationships? And, you know, 
do these happen in all of your intimate relationships and just kind of identifying what's coming up when, when they have a partner. I feel like this would be a wonderful song. I typically do um, an intervention where I'll bring in songs talking about relationships and love and having them identify, um, you know, what they resonate with in their own intimate uh, relationships. So I thought this would be a good song to add into that and, um, and bring up that topic. So that's where my mind was headed. <laughs> I'm glad it's being used for good. Yeah. <laughs> That's such an amazing thing. Wow. Yeah. If I, um, when I was working in mental health with adults, I did something similar, Allison, where I like brought in songs and they, yeah, they had to identify like what, you know, what they're hearing and like what's going on in each song. Um, so if I was working in mental health still, I would definitely bring this one in. Cause it's also like, a. I mean, it's not like a song you you've heard on the radio. Right. So there's no association with it yet for most people. So um, it would make them kind of concentrate on the song a little differently than they would if it was a song that they had heard on the radio or on some sort of playlist. So, yeah. Yeah. Or that they related to a mm-hmm. partner. Um, that adds a whole other layer. Mm-hmm. To that. Yeah. Associating a song with a partner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, where I currently work, uh, kind of going back to the production side of things. So we do a lot of songwriting and um, producing. So like we just make up songs during a session and then try to find, you know, the sounds that'll go with it and record it. And then we have it for us as something that they've created. Um, And so this song or this, this week actually we created an eighties type song, like with the pulsating bass and like the chuck, chuck, like, <laughs> um, <laughs> and like, this was like, I, I hadn't even like listened to Lost in Translation. So it wasn't even like on my brain at the moment. Um, but it just kind of happens because we were trying to explore different loops on the, on, uh, on Soundtrap. And so we were like looking through all the different loops and I think we went through maybe 15 or 20 of them. And I was like, are we there yet? Like, have you found something that like, is there, is there something that has fit the song in? They're like, no, not yet. And so like, we keep on looking and finally we hit the pulsating one and they're like, that's it. That is the one that we need for this song. And it's just like, kind of like how you were talking about, you know, trying to figure out just what fits a song and what's going to help the song. Um, it's just such a process of exploring and like really trying to find what is going to bring the song to where it needs to be. And that can be really difficult sometimes because you just get really frustrated or tired. But um, when you find it, you find it. And it's just kind of this like magical moment when things finally click. For sure. Because I mean, for me, when I was growing up, I had a a really crazy uh, childhood and and young adulthood. And so I had, you know, my little boom box in my room. And um, one of my favorite songs to like reflect on with um, Death Cab for Cutie song 
think it was transcend I'm gonna Oh yeah, transatlanticism. Yeah. Nice. But I would just I would come home from school and I would just like lay on the ground and listen to that over and over again. Very very emo. Very emo. But I think that's where that started for me was realizing that I was using music in a therapeutic way. Yes. Songs do a really great job of like even just listening to them and receiving them do a really great job of um, being with us when we need it. Right. And sometimes like those songs will bring us back to a time. Like I got to see Death Cab for Cutie live when I was like, I think I was 22. Um, and they, they started to play it and I just like ugly cried. <laughs> I was trying to hide it. like, people are what's wrong with me i'm on drugs <laughs> i don't know um but it just it 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 brought me back um it's very surreal um kind of like a you know re-exposure mm-hmm. to that that time in my life for me in terms of like clinical stuff i I had a reaction with uh, kind of the theme with the title um, being lost in translation. And then the line in the chorus, uh, you would have called me, but I was on the other line. Um, and I think it also just kind of goes in some similar like Gabby was saying, just like my context and what I've been kind of digesting content wise the past few weeks. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about how there are a lot of folks that we work with that are non-speaking and the ways in which communication is so diverse and how we have these (laughs) multiple missed opportunities for true connection because we tend to privilege just like our speaking communication and and even the element too, like of it being a lyrical song um, and just like how, how can we go about being better in our communication understanding of one another? Um, And that can apply to so many different areas too. But I think like, hearing the song and then going over the lyrics and then also to just the content from a lot of autistic creators that I've been just digesting recently. Like it really got me thinking about that and reflecting on that a lot. And I'm not sure if it would be more so like a clinical intervention to bring in and just like, this is a music therapy experience, but more so even just a chance to like talk about it more and to like really bring that into the spaces of like our professional spaces and our educational spaces and to really talk about the importance of how there is a diversity in communication and what it means to really honor that for the folks that we work with and also with just other people in our world. Most definitely. I think one of one of the, the jobs that I had um, at the end of, of college, I worked at an autism clinic that was affiliated with the university and I, I worked with kiddos who were nonverbal and like there was a lot of um, frustration when they weren't able to communicate what they wanted or needed. And um, so I totally get that. And I, I think um, like it's, it's beautiful because we have technology at our advantage in those kinds of situations where um, they've learned, you know, on the iPad, as time has gone on, they can, you know, manned for different things by, you know, pressing different buttons and stuff. 
but um, I wonder if in those situations where um, like an individual would get really riled up in their frustration if they'd be able to you know have have the uh, skill set to be able to go hey like I'm feeling this way let me listen to this music to to bring me down and and calm me and a lot of I work with um, a lot of people who have dementia and so that's also somebody who has a really hard time communicating the brain you know according to where it, what what is affected by the dementia you know the communication can be a real challenge um, and somebody wanting to get a point across to you but can't get the right words out or something like that like you were saying getting it's very agitating and frustrating and um, it's helpful I think sometimes they have a better time communicating in with music and in music um, sometimes non-verbally um, you know just playing mm -hmm. a drum getting that frustration out and communicating yeah. in that way um, because words are failing them so um, we can provide another form of communication for our clients and the people we're yeah, working with that's great yeah, that also brings to mind uh, some of the folks that I work with have acquired brain injuries. And uh, one client in particular I've been working with has aphasia. And so when this person speaks, it's very hard for um, like the conjunctions and like the right verbs to like, like just like the, there's parts of the sentences that don't come together. Um, but when this person is singing, it's just like total 180, like can sing entire, like an entire song and um, like no pauses, right pitches. And it's just so interesting how, um, yeah, just how, how that works. Um, and then also what I've learned is that like, I've, I've, I've grown to know more about him through like his musical, mm -hmm things that he does and his he shares a lot of songs with me like that's he's basically communicating like how he's feeling more through songs and like just youtube videos than he is like actually word wise um because like they hit home more and um yeah it's just it's so cool that is really cool like i've mm -hmm. i've heard of um individuals who have Alzheimer's who like used to play the piano or sing or something and and then they're able to sit down at the piano and have muscle memory to be able to to play a song again or like a song will be turned on and they'll go oh like and and it will kind of trigger memories for them and allow them to be lucid it's really, really powerful what music can do. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It takes them back to a place, you know, I went, I used to dance to this song in dance halls that we get to go and live in that space for a little bit and just enjoy that memory um, that's attached to that song. It's incredible. Um, so I just had like a little thought exercise kind of to go off of the um, idea that I was talking about a little bit earlier and just kind of with the line, 
you would have called me, but I was on the other line. Um, when thinking about that in a clinical space or a clinical setting, who do you think is communicating that? Like, are is it coming from like a client perspective, like a participant's perspective, or is it like the therapist facilitator's perspective? Like, in what ways does that change when you think about it from the different people that could be communicating it or who could be considered like on the other line? So I was thinking of actually two different things. So one was my experience in the past um, with more non, well, with nonverbal clients, because right now I'm, I'm not working with any um, nonverbal clients, but um, as you were kind of bringing up that point and, and we were discussing it a little bit, I thought of some times where um, I was missing what they were trying to communicate and I um, kind of put myself in my own shoes. So thinking of it from, I guess, the therapist's point of view of like, how did I miss and what did I miss? And, you know, what were those specific signs that these clients were trying to give me? And, um, and then thinking about the fact that then I was thinking about it from my point of view and why was I thinking about it from my point of view instead of like, how could I, and again, uh, speaking about it from my point of view, but like, how could I have supported this or understood this in a different way? And do I need to understand it in a different way or just allowing that client to communicate in the way that's best for them, not necessarily forcing their, um, their boards or their iPads or, or whatever, you know, just allowing them to be expressive in whatever way that might look like. And sometimes that's not, um, using AAC. Sometimes that's not even using music. Sometimes it's just being in a space with somebody and having nonverbal body language and showing me with their face or with their hands or with their stems, like how they're feeling, Mm -hmm. um, and why, was I always looking for something that I could understand, whether it was verbal or musical. But then I thought about it from a mental health perspective, because that's where I am now in my career. And thinking about how my clients do communicate to me when I'm missing something and the total difference in that. But of course, it's verbal or musical. Mm. Um and I'm always asking for the feedback, but why did I never ask for feedback when I was working with mm. the other population? So those are just kind of some of my thoughts of like, how can I remove myself and really allow the client to be more in control? Even though I, I come from a humanistic client-centered standpoint, how can I do that even more without thinking of myself? Those are my thoughts. Yeah. I- because when I was presenting the point, I my perspective was, what do we as music therapists miss because of the way in which we're taught, the ways in which we have these um, like normative like ideas of what is communication, despite the diversity of what communication fully can entail and encompass, and I, mm-hmm. and it does seem like we miss out on a lot and we don't realize it. Or maybe we do realize it and we try to justify it in some way to make us feel better. So we don't like think, oh, we're doing, you know, just just to make us feel more comfortable. Um, and yeah, like I, I was really like resonating with what you were sharing because 
I think it's so much harder to just be because <laughs> we're taught to just keep doing stuff. And like, I wonder if we just stopped <laughs> and literally we're just with other people. <laughs> like how how much more connection could actually happen if we were just so if we were able and willing to just learn another person and that's it and to just sit on the line and not have to talk on the line mm -hmm. mm. yeah and it's funny you say that because and i don't know if this is just being further along in my career finishing up grad school and just knowing more um but I feel like I'm intentional about being more. And I wasn't when I was working with uh, my other clients, not as much. I, I, I tried, but I, I think it was just being afraid of the being on the line and like, okay, so what do we do now for 20 minutes when I have a 30 minute session? Do I sit here with this person? What do we, you know, what are we going to do? So yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It's like, is it the is it the group of people that I'm with, or is it the fact that I'm a little more wise and knowledgeable um, further along? I don't know. I think it could be a combination because I, I feel like when I was first starting, I was also like, I have to fill every single minute, or else I'm not a good therapist. Like, there have to be doing something at all times. Like, <laughs> like, um, so yeah, I feel like it might be a combination. Um, yeah. And then Grant, when you were talking about the diversity of communication, so I worked with predominantly verbal folks at my last couple of jobs. And so this job I have now completely just everything, everything <laughs> so diverse. Like we have, um, deaf people, we have blind people, we have folks that um, will verbalize, but like it's not always like complete sentences or complete words. And then um, just, yeah, completely diverse communication. Some use a board, some don't use a board. And it's been so interesting having to learn um, everyone and their styles of communication and their ways of being and just figuring out how I can connect with this person. Um, if it's at like verbally communicating or even just like sitting next to them while they're like looking through songs on an iPad or something. Um, yeah. Um, and I think there are, I mean, yeah, often, honestly, there are times where I feel like we're on, two separate lines, but we're like sitting right next to each other. And I, I feel like occasionally they'll connect and then sometimes they won't. But even if they don't, we're at least still like here, you know? Um, yeah, those are my thoughts on it. There was a line when I was teaching um, dementia training to the staff at one of the facilities I worked at. It said like being here is often more important than what we are doing and working on. Um, and we do work in a, like I work in a community setting. So I've, I'm working with the same clients um, because they live in the building. And so I get to see um, and really get to know my clients really well. 
Um, and one thing that has like kind of come up as y'all talked is um, the times that because I knew my residents so well, or I thought I did, um, I made assumptions about whether or not they were going to participate in this activity or offering them, you know, a simplified version of what we're doing when they, you know, really wanted the full version. They didn't mm -hmm. want, you know, that adaptation. And so there are times that I've made decisions for my resident assuming things, um, trying with good intention of trying because I know them really well. I don't know how they typically act in the session. Um, but then I may have like a practicum student or an intern go in and try something that, um, you know, is more than I would have given them and they engage with it and they have, you know, the, a breakthrough, you know, but, and then I feel, you know, I've been keeping this from them. Um, but you know, it's those times of like, when was I, I looking, I was looking for communication or I was, I felt like they were telling me one thing. Um, but they're really trying to tell me something different. Um, my focus was not on the right place, um, which is what I kind of pulled from that line in the song um, of like, I would have, uh, you would have called me, but I was on the other line. Like, where is your focus? Um, and what are you paying attention to? And, uh, I think you bring up a great point because a lot of times we only know what we, like what we've experienced, what we're exposed to. And <laughs> when you choose to work as a music therapist or choose to like pursue this like that you you come to learn very quickly that that is solely like your unique experience other people may have like similar things that like you can share and like relate to for sure but people are also unique and i think even with folks who communicate in similar ways like even us for talking on a conversation right now like post the interview like we all you know we're we're using a like the same type of communication style per se, but there's still nuance and uniqueness to how each of us communicates. And maybe like Allison's picking up on something that I'm doing that John missed, or like maybe John's aware of something that like Gabby's doing that like I'm not like picking up, like just based on like how we all know each other and how we all interact. And I think like to understand the importance of the unique ways in which we also communicate within those different channels, like even if like you're doing the same type of thing you could still be on that other line and just like completely miss something and i i think it's just like a really was very like appreciative of like having that moment of reflection like i like i wasn't anticipating to have like that to be my takeaway when i was listening to the song but it it was just a really i think again where i'm at in life when i'm digesting the content i'm trying to be more like intentional about like diversifying what i take in in terms of, like my media and then also like this it all kind of lined up <laughs> perfectly to have this conversation the week that we're recording this podcast so it lined up on the line <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, i think it's such a great conversation and honestly what you were just sharing made me think of one more thing and it was how the way that we as clinicians may discuss our clients, especially if we are transitioning a caseload to another therapist um, and share some things to quote unquote, watch out for or be aware of about the person. And that that might not necessarily be the case. I've had plenty of times where I've jotted down notes and then realized, oh, 
they don't do that with mm. me or, you know, there's a different way that they are interacting with me um, because I'm a totally different person and they are communicating with me in the way that they, in the level that they feel trusting of me and, um, and however else they feel about me, you know? So uh, that's also something that I thought of as you were sharing that thought grant. So thank you for this discussion. I think it's so important. It was a great question. Prompt. Man. Hello. Is there anything you'd like to share or, or like, ha- is there anything you want people to look out for um, that's coming up in the future? Gotcha. So I have an album coming out at the end of the year, hopefully, if, you know, the pandemic Lovato allows. <laughs> um, it's called Holy Wars. And um, also have some new music coming out this coming month. That's going to be announcing that really soon. So stay tuned. Cool. Is there anywhere that um, if folks want to keep in touch with you and stay in contact with you, where can they reach? Gotcha. You can check out my website. I am lowmusic.com or you can head over to social media and find me at I am low music on any social media platform. Great. Cool. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Yeah, so great to see you again. Yeah. Incredible conversation. Same to you. Nice. Well, we're going to sign off by listening to Lost in Translation by Lowe. Oh, that I meant to burn How I was falling in love. Counting those seconds still to see you. We thought that you were the one What if it was different? What if I'd stayed? What if I just came back? Would that be okay?
Too late. Mm. Now it's too late. 